0: The second week in a series we're calling Voices, and uh, as I said last week, you know we, we did one uh, called the same title for a Christmas a year or two ago when we were looking at the various significant voices speaking into that whole story of the birth of Christ, the incarnation. And we thought, hey, why don't we do the same treatment with, with uh, you know, Easter? And uh, so we're, we're doing that. Uh, if you missed last week, of course, you can catch up on the podcast or the videocast. But uh, this week, we're going to be looking at, as indeed much of the Christian churches, as uh, Jesus' um, triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and so I've been uh, looking at Mark's Gospel, so we're gonna be into Mark's Gospel, but before we do that, uh, I've got a little prologue, something to sort of set us up to better understand this passage. And so will you turn with me then, please, uh, to, uh, to Luke chapter 11. Now, uh, AV and, and sound, I know I'm going off, I will get back to it, but stay with me, all right? <laughs> voice, just keep it on that. So before we get into the passage that we're about to, to look at, I just want to make very brief mention of two occasions in Mark chapter 10 uh, which happen prior to Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And the reason I'm mentioning that is, is, is because Mark... Position them there in a very particular way to again to set us up to better understand what's going on. And there are two stories immediately prior to Jesus's entry into Jerusalem. One is the occasion where James and John, two of Jesus's disciples, that's the close kind of group of a dozen or so. Uh, he had many disciples who followed him, you know, a great crowd of people towards the end. But there was the inner, t- inner core of 12 disciples. They, were, they became known as apostles eventually. And James and John were brothers and they were part of that. And they come to Jesus with a special request. And he has a question. And this, if you like, is the first voice I want you to clock. Jesus says to them, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? And they say, "Well, Master, you know, when you come into glory, uh, can can one of us sit on one side of you, and one of you, one of uh, you know, one of my, my, my brothers sit on the other side?" And Jesus, I'm not going to, I can't preach that as well this morning, but Jesus says, "You know what? You're, you, you're not, you you don't actually know what you ask. It's not for my, for me to give." And then Jesus does a little bit of teaching about the nature of Christian. Uh, Leadership, and that's that we are called to serve, not to lord it out and over. Uh, And so James and John probably felt mildly rebuked by that, and certainly when the other disciples heard about their request, uh, certainly at that point, you know, that Jesus, uh, you know, that that James and John were pretty uh, kind of uh, uh, beaten up by the rest of the guys, because they thought, you know, this is a bit of a play, you know, they're sort of trying to steal a march, they're trying to, They're trying to get an advantage, but I think what Mark is wanting to draw out there is really just this sense that you know when it came down to uh, you know being asked by the Lord Jesus Himself, "What do you want Me to do for you?" There was an element of an element of personal ambition there. You know, make us famous, make us successful. May we look good. You know, one on either side of you. Now, it then goes on, the text in Mark 10 goes on to a story which has become known as Blind Bartimaeus, Blind Bartimaeus. And this is the story where Jesus is in Jericho, he's leaving Jericho on the way up to Jerusalem, more of that in a minute. And and as he's leaving, this beggar, a guy called Blind Bartimaeus, says to him, or calls out, says, you know, Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. You know, have mercy upon me, have mercy upon me. Uh, Jesus son of David have mercy upon me he's really making quite a a fuss and people are saying will you just shut up keep the masters busy you know leave, leave him alone anyway Jesus clocks that this guy is calling out from the side of the road you know Jesus son of David have mercy upon me and so he says, bring him over here. We can bring him over here. So they, they, they all rush over to Blind Bartimaeus and say, oh yeah, yeah, well done, You know, very good. You know. Suddenly they changed tune, as it were. You know, one minute they're sort of beating him down. Next minute they say, oh, come along. The master wants to speak to you. And when he, is, when he arrives before Jesus, Jesus asks him the same question. This is a deliberate device by Mark here. A deliberate device. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Same question that he asked James and John. What do you want me to do for you? And what blind Bartimaeus says, Lord, I wanna see. Lord, I wanna see. And so Jesus heals him. And what is wonderful then is is blind Bartimaeus opens his eyes and he doesn't go just, wow, that's amazing. Oh, that's incredible. Look, mates, look look what Jesus has done for me. He opens his eyes and he sees Jesus. And what the text says is that he picks up his stuff and he follows Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? So Jesus is is in that place, in that moment, and two of his disciples, they're wanting position. They're wanting recognition. And this other guy he opens his eyes and he sees Jesus and he follows him. That's part of the prologue. I'll come back to that at the very end. The other part of the prologue is really setting the scene. And now, thank you, we'll be back onto script. And uh, we'll look at Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And that goes, and this is 500 years before Jesus is born. He says here, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And the second voice is this. See your king comes to you. See your king comes to you. Now the reason... Mark uses that reference is because actually, at this time of year in Jerusalem, you know, uh, Jesus' group of disciples coming into the city wasn't the only group of teachers with their disciples. There were lots of sort of, uh, you know, spiritual leaders coming into town, and they would all have their disciples and and what Mark is setting us up to believe and to see here. Open your eyes, blind Bartimaeus. Is that Jesus is just no ordinary teacher. That Jesus is the king. And Zechariah, who prophesies this event that's going to take place 500 years in advance of his day, he says, See, your king comes to you riding on a donkey. Your king. So that's, all of that is by way of prologue. Now we can finally get to Mark chapter 11, which is Mark's account of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. And uh, we'll pick up the text at uh, yeah, chapter 11, verse 7. And uh, there's a little bit of dialogue, a little bit of narrative that goes on before this. You can read that when you get home. But I'm going to pick it up at verse 7 here. And Jesus has sent his disciples out to, to get a, 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 it says a colt in, in Mark's gospel. Uh, other versions say a donkey, other, other accounts. But it goes like this. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it and he sat on it, And many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our Father. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. And he looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. I found, find this interesting. I was reading it this week and it just struck me. There's this huge great sort of hoo-ha and celebration all the rest of it. There's, this coming into the city. And when he gets into the city, what does he do? He has a look around and then he goes home. And that tells me something. That tells me that actually the most important thing here is the coming into the city. It was actually the procession that was the important thing. Now let me just sort of help you here and talk about this. Jesus was coming from Jericho. Jericho is 800 feet below sea level. Crazy, eh? 800 feet below sea level. Jerusalem is 3,000 feet above sea level. That is a trek. That is quite a walk. Now, if you were, you know, a businessman, a trader, a, you know, a merchant, and had to do that regularly, by the time you got to the top of that, uh, uh, you know, as you as you as you, cre- as you crested the hill and found yourself overlooking Jerusalem, at that point, you know, you must have been Pretty relieved. (laughs) Keep getting. (laughs) You were pleased to be there. But this was not just a big climb, and everybody in in that in sort of south of Jerusalem, in that part, that segment would have to do that climb. They were all relieved (laughs) to get to the top. But in this time of year, there was an added layer of excitement. It was a festival. And five or six times a year, you would up all the family, you know, get the camping pots and this, that, and the other. Most people ended up uh, camping outside of Jerusalem for the big festivals. It was just too small. Too many people crushed in there. So you'd take everything, you'd get the kids, you'd traipse all the way up this hill with the kids, you know, whining, are we nearly there yet? All this kind of stuff. But there was a sense of excitement. You'd see old friends. You'd, you'd, you'd catch up with relatives who perhaps had moved to an, a different part of the country. There was a sense of festival and excitement. So, this is a second layer of, wow, you know, we're there. But then there's the third layer Jesus' disciples. They crest this, ha- this hill. And, and there is an enormous sense of, of Jesus. The Messiah, the king, as many were beginning to see him, the king that is to come, uh, coming into Jerusalem, the holy city, the place where God dwells, and Jesus coming home. Jesus coming home. So there was layer upon layer of celebration, and the people shouted, Hosanna! And Hosanna in that day was a, was a, it actually means the Lord saves. But it was a, you know, it, it, it was a, an, a, a shout of, of great joy and excitement. So the crowd are shouting Hosanna, Hosanna. And then they shout, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Very excited, but they don't just do that, they also say, uh, Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. Now, we'll come back to that little phrase in just a moment. What they do is more than they they are shouting, Hosanna, that's not uncommon. They are saying, You know, um, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, that wasn't all that uncommon. But they are also saying, blessed is the, king, the coming kingdom of our father David. What they're really saying at that point is, blessed is he who brings in God's kingdom. Now that was like a prayer, that was an acclamation, and that was dangerous. In fact, that is why the religious leaders in one or two of the other accounts said to Jesus, stop your people saying that. Because they'd gone past the sort of festal celebration. They were now attributing to Jesus the fact that, Jesus was bringing in the kingdom. That caused offense. That put people's noses out of joint. And then they went further than that. They started taking their cloaks off and laying them down. Now, this was unusual. You didn't do that in, in, in dust, on the dusty roads of Jerusalem. You didn't lop down trees. Vegetation was at a premium. You know, Jericho and that whole walkway is an arid thing. You know, you value every tree. The only occasion that you might cast your cloaks upon the ground and lop down boughs is when? It's when you are welcoming a king. So what the disciples of Jesus are saying is, this is our king, and he is bringing in the long-awaited God's kingdom. Which is why the religious leaders were so ticked off. And so at that point, uh, our second voice, our third voice almost, I'm losing count, is this. Blessed is he who brings in God's kingdom. You know, in the vineyard, uh, we're going to be doing a series on our values uh, after, uh, in May, I think it is. And we're going to be talking again about the kingdom of God. When we're doing our equip classes, we always teach about this. This is something that is very key to our theology and how we see the world. And and essentially, what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is the reign and rule of Jesus. It's not a place, you know, I, I get my passport, for and I go and visit my, our, our family in Nashville, and, uh, you know, we, we go to another kingdom. And if you travel, you may go into other countries, other kingdoms, and they're geographical. The kingdom of God is not geographical. You may have a great affection and a great respect for Jerusalem. With respect, it's not the kingdom of God. It is Jerusalem. It's a wonderful place to visit. I've been there. But the kingdom of God in theological and biblical terms is the reign and rule of God and it is centered on Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Wherever Jesus is, there is the kingdom of God. You know, that, that song that we sing every cell, we sung that, you know, lovely thing going on there. You know, that's about you know, everything falling into line with the lordship of Jesus Every cell of our body, as it were, surrendering before Christ. You know, we believe that, you know, sickness is, uh, uh, and demon, demonic pr- uh, oppression and all the rest of it is all part of the work of the fall. And when Ch- King Jesus is in town, wonderful things start to happen. Cancers disappear. You know? And then we had that one, you know, every week we tell you stories about healings. We're not just telling you about people who are poorly getting well. We're really saying Jesus is Lord. Say that with me. Jesus is Lord. He reigns and rule in our hearts and in this place and wherever Jesus is, there is the kingdom. And things start falling into place. Got it? Things start falling into place. So here we have this situation where the people, like blind Bartimaeus, who opened his eyes, and you'd think it would have been, been enough for him to see, you'd, have, you know, you'd think it enough that he'd want to go around and see everything, but he sees Jesus, and he decides, I'm going to follow that guy. That's the way blind Bartimaeus went And these guys, these guys are heralding the arrival of the king. So blessed is he who brings in God's kingdom. We're nearly done, I'm surprised, I'm doing quite well this morning. Let's go now then to Psalm 118, verses 22 to 27, 118, 22 to 27. Because part of that accolade that the people are, are um, using there is drawn from Psalm 118. And we'll look at it from verse 22. There's a real prophetic element in this psalm, written by David, I think is it attributed to David. Somebody tell me it isn't. Isn't doesn't isn't attributed to anyone. This this psalm, by the way, was a prayer. It's a prayer that Jesus and the disciples used when he left the Last Supper and went out to the you know the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples. It says they went singing a hymn. Usually, Psalm 118 would be the, the hymn that they. They would, or the, the psalm that they would use in that. So it, it has quite a standing in the scripture, does Psalm 118. We can't look at the whole of it, but verse 22 onwards reads this. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. You know, Jesus was rejected by the, the leaders and many of the people and the authorities. But it says here prophetically, The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. The author is seeing that something that was rejected by men is actually of extraordinary value to God. And it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice and be glad. Lord, save us. Hosanna. Lord save us. Lord grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There it is again. That was in the chant, you know, the accolade that the people shouted over Jesus. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. With boughs in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. I'm going to finish. I didn't think uh, I'm going to finish off this little passage. You are my God and I will praise you. You are my God and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his love endures forever. Say that with me. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Thank you, Lord. You see, uh, this is more than a, Bunch of people who look like they've had a bit too much to drink. A rowdy crowd coming into Jerusalem at the time of a great big party. There is something profound going on here. And the question, I suppose, that that hangs in the air is, are we amongst those upon whom the light has shined? Are we amongst those who like blind Bartimaeus have seen who Jesus is? And I suppose as a pastor, I want to say to you because this has certainly been part of my experience, you know, who is Jesus to you? Now for some of you, that may be a a, a too early a question. You're still making up your mind, great. By the way, if you have made up your mind, you can't do any better than get baptized next Sunday. Have a word with Richard. It's a wonderful, wonderful time of celebration. But for some of us, we've actually crossed the line, I don't know, call it what you will, made that commitment, said the prayer or whatever, and thank God for that. But the truth of the matter is that, you know, I think that there's a maturity in Christ And it's not just, you know, growing up in Christ. It's actually growing up in our understanding of Jesus. You know, when I first gave my life to Christ, I was just like James and John. I was really seeing him as somebody who could do something for me. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? And Jesus is very gracious, and he allowed me to ask the baby prayers. Oh, Lord God, You know, when I go and make that guy an offer for the car, may he accept it. Oh Lord God, when they come to fix the boiler, may it not cost too much. You know, all these things, you know, 1 Peter 5, you know, cast all your anxious thoughts on God for he cares for you. It's okay. But as time goes on, and I said this last week, I referred to it, you need to listen to it, I gave a different version on it, it's the same thing. We grow in our understanding. We grow in what we see. And suddenly we realize we're we're not just dealing with somebody who is a a Mr. Fix-It and well-disposed towards us. But actually we're dealing with someone who is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And as that light shines on us and as our eyes are open to that truth, that changes everything. It changes everything. It changes the way we do life. It changes uh, our ability, uh, our capacity to be resilient in the face of times of trial and testing. You know, some of us may have to go through sickness. Sadly, not everyone gets healed. It's the mystery, if you like, of the now and the not yet. The kingdom of God is breaking in upon us, but there's more to come. I actually like, typically in the Vinda, we talk about the now and the not yet. I prefer to say the now and there's more to come. And so the question, the voice I'm hearing as I prepare myself in this season for Good Friday and Jesus, is, Jesus going to my cross, it's not his cross, it's he's dying the death that I should die. He should be on the throne, but no, he substitutes himself. And and come and watch the movie. If it's a while since you've seen that movie, uh, come and see it on Friday with us, 12 till 2. And just, you know, wonder at what Christ went through for us because that's, make no bones about it, that's our cross. And he set us to one side and said, um, Bless you. I'm gonna do this for you. Remember me, I'm gonna do this for you. So the question really is, is do we see Jesus? Which Jesus are we seeing? Which aspect of Jesus are we seeing? And so the voice as we come into Holy Week is really about do we do we know Jesus as he would be known? not as we would like to know him all those other things god is so gracious he you know the guy did accept the offer you know the boiler didn't cost as much as i thought it would etc 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 god is good he knows we're but children but the big question is do i know jesus as lord not just savior